Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Hey folks, welcome back. Today's episode is about the billions of organisms that we coexist with in our bodies and on our bodies. And of course, I'm referring to your microbiome. My guest today is Kiran Krishnan, who, well, I mean, the man is a total expert in this field. He is, among many other things, also one of the co-founders and the chief scientific officer for Microbiome Labs, which makes amazing, amazing products, not just probiotics, but prebiotics as well, and a number of other products for this space. Microbiome Labs is constantly innovating. They've got new tests these days. They're looking at different microbiomes in the human body. You basically have a microbiome in every orifice of your body that you can think of. He is currently involved in 16 novel human clinical trials on probiotics and the microbiome. So this is how we know a true expert, right? A true expert is someone who not, doesn't only know what he's talking about today, but is constantly learning and moving the space forward. And the thing about the microbiome, just like so much of human health, is there's a lot we know, but there is so much more that we don't know. So we're always learning. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you want to learn more about Microbiome Labs, you can simply go to microbiomelabs.com. And we didn't have a discount code for the listeners when we recorded this, but there should be one in the show notes by the time the podcast is published. So make sure you check the show notes for that. You know how much I appreciate you guys, how much I love hearing from you in the comments, questions. You can submit them through my website, natnidham.com, or you can reach out to me on Instagram, natalienidham.com. Last but not least, we can connect in person pretty much if you are interested in joining my new community called BSP Community. So it's B like biohacking, S like superhuman, P like performance on Mighty Networks. And you can learn all about the community through my website on natnidham.com. There's a whole page there about it that'll tell you all about what's involved in joining. So thank you so much for being here. We have a quick message from one of our sponsors, and then we get to dig in. Enjoy. Hey folks, quick word from our sponsor, Berkeley Life Professional. If you've been listening for a while, you've probably heard me talk about nitric oxide, a vital molecule made naturally in the body, responsible for vasodilation and circulation. But as we produce less of it as we age, resulting in diminished blood flow, I, along with many of my listeners, have been supporting our nitric oxide levels with an easy daily dietary nitrate supplement called Berkeley Life. But did you know that nitric oxide also has topical impacts? Berkeley Life's new topical nitric oxide serum combines vitamin C and nitrite to create nitric oxide gas directly on the skin. I get a beautiful blush for about five or 10 minutes as the serum goes to work on my skin's microvasculature without any kind of burning or tingling sensation. I'm now using the serum daily alongside my Berkeley Life Supplement. As the biggest organ in my body, I know my skin is thanking me for the improved delivery of oxygen and nutrients being delivered through my circulatory system, thanks to nitric oxide. Berkeley Life is available only through health practitioners. So you can access Berkeley Life products at berkeleylife.com and use my practitioner code NIDDBL to place your order and get 10% off that first order. Once again, berkeleylife.com. And now let's get back to the episode. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that all of the information presented in this podcast is for information purposes only. No medical advice, no diagnosing, no treatments suggested here. Before you try anything that you hear about or learn about here, make sure that you check with your medical provider. Welcome to the podcast, Kieran Krishnan. It is such a pleasure to have you here today. It is my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, I'm I'm super excited. Um, I'm, who was it that introduced us? It is Dasha Maximoff. She's yeah. She's she. I call she's like my connector. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I do retreats. I did a retreat with her in March, a women's retreat, and she's uh, she's just one of these people that is just like. I, it's like, you know, she's like six degrees of separation person. <laughs> she is very extroverted. I, or maybe introverted, but just knows how to adapt to it. And, and, uh, and everybody knows her. Yeah. She just goes out and connects. Yeah, no, she's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm very grateful to her for this because you are one of those people that I've 
always dreamed of having on the podcast. Oh, so I'm you. really excited to be here today. So we don't have a lot of time, guys. So for the listeners, this won't be the marathon podcast. However, there'll be a part two at some point. And what we we were talking about, what we were going to talk about, because there's so many things we can talk about here. But I think what we're, we're going to start with is the microbiome, talking about this concept of a microbiome cloud. And then we'll kind of hone in from there. And then we might just get into a couple of other topics. But the, the idea of the microbiome cloud, which is not something that I've had that much exposure to, I think is just really interesting and I think would be interesting for people to get their heads around. Yeah. Well, you know, and, uh, and before I dig into that specific um, you know, topic, I think it's important for people to understand just the basics around, you know, your microbiome is obviously all of the microbes that live in and on you, right? Yeah. Uh, and then and a very important part of it is also their genetic material. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that part is critical because we have 150 times more microbial DNA in our system than human DNA, right? And if we would count on just our DNA to live, we wouldn't even exist because we are wholly inadequate when it comes to our genomic capabilities. We have around 22,000 functional genes in our genomes and, and compare that to like an earthworm that has 30,000 functional genes, right? So Hilarious. we are not that sophisticated, <laughs> right? We're the simpletons, really. <laughs> we're the very, very simpletons in the animal kingdom, you know, but the reason why we're at the top of the food chain, top of the evolutionary ladder is a couple of things. One is the development of the brain, right? And the ability of, of having the brain to body size ratio that we tend to have, but, but then the brain wouldn't exist and, and all the other biological systems wouldn't exist if we didn't have a large fermentive base in our colon. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that mammals did uh, or accidentally did, I don't want it to sound like we did it on purpose, but we accidentally did that where we adopted a large fermentive base of microbes in our di- digestive tracts. And this is true for all kinds of mammals, right? Ruminants and our yeah. cultures, ape friends and all that. Um, so having that large fermentive base means that you've got a biochemical nutrient factory in your system Mm -hmm. that provides for you lots and lots of capabilities that we normally wouldn't have. And these are capabilities to produce things that we need, that our cells need, right? And these are the capabilities of breaking down things and assimilating things and utilizing nutrients properly, all of which we don't have the DNA capacity to do. We count on the microbes in our system to do it. Right. At any given time in your blood, there are you know, thousands of chemicals floating around. And when I say chemicals, I mean, it's our own biological chemicals, yeah. not outside chemicals, right? Our own chemistries floating around that are incredibly important for our basic function. More than half of all of those compounds were made in the gut by microbes. And these are compounds we cannot get from diet and we cannot make ourselves. Yeah, that's right? amazing. So that's, that's why it's so important now a big part of how this large fermentive base came about and a big part of how we continue to try to build on it is the interaction between us with other people and then interaction with us in the environment and interaction with us and other species, Mm -hmm. right? So all of these species share and interchange microbes all the time. That's how we were designed. We all kind of evolved in the same, um, you know, ecosystem Mm -hmm. and picked up different types of organisms that harbor our systems, but we're constantly exchanging those organisms between us, the environment, other animals, and within, uh, between other humans and so on, right? So we have to think of it that human existence is, uh, is there today because we were in constant osmosis with the world around us when it comes to microbes, right? So it's nothing new to share microbes. So as it turns out, uh, even within households, even within offices where people frequent and all that, you start creating an ecosystem that's a microbiome cloud where the individuals within that system share microbes together. Now, this is in general a good thing. However, it can also be a bad thing if one or more of those individuals who are participants in the microbiome cloud are actually disrupting the cloud by putting out dysbiotic bacteria. So there was a really, yeah, there was a really fascinating study uh, out of Johns Hopkins that looked at individuals who were given a prescription of antibiotics, right? And they, they took samples of their microbiome prior to starting the antibiotics. 
then they took samples during the course of the antibiotics, and then they took samples up to six months after the antibiotic course was done. And without surprise, as you, you can imagine, they found that there was a significant dysbiosis that was created during the course of antibiotics. And then that dysbiosis could also be measured upwards of six months after stopping the course, right? Okay, now, here's the surprising thing from the study. They also measured the microbiome of individuals that lived in the same household as the person taking the antibiotics, but those household mates did not were not on antibiotics, and yet they found similar disruptions in their microbiomes as well. You're kidding. So, so their microbiomes were disrupted by the people taking the antibiotics versus their microbiomes helping the person on antibiotics yep. rebalance. Rebalance. Now, over time, presumably, once the so the antibiotics are so powerful yeah. that they're going to outweigh any sort of positive sharing from the other people, right? And in fact, the power, the change is profound enough where the antibiotic effect is actually seen in the other individuals. Now, wow. presumably, if people in the household are making the right decisions, over time, the, the microbiomes will go back to being normal or their version of normal or healthy. Right. Right? Right. But again, they'd have to be doing something more actively to do that. Because there are studies that show that even a single course of clindamycin for seven days you can see the disruption in the microbiome up to two years after. Wow. So, so wow. if you're not actively trying to improve it, so it may just stay disrupted forever. Yeah, well, that, that, yeah, well, that's sending me down a rabbit hole. We're not going to go there. We don't have time today. But <laughs> so just quickly, because we don't have a long time to talk today. So I'm going to interject with a couple of questions mm -hmm. of action points that people, because, you know, that's a bomb. So, yeah. so what's a person to do? What are the right things? Are there, you know, I guess I've always wondered if depending on the antibiotic should, are there different probiotics a person should be taking? before, during, and well, maybe during and after an antibiotic course, or are there general guidelines to which probiotics a person would take to reestablish or to help their body, let's call it help their body come back into balance sooner yeah. after an antibiotic course? Yeah. So when it comes to the microbiome, most antibiotics work very similarly okay. uh, because what happens is most antibiotics stay in the gut for around two and a half to three hours. Right. And then they get, then they meet, uh, they get metabolized and they enter into circulation. Now, when they're in circulation, they don't impact the gut as much. It's that, that two and a half to three hour period while they're in the gut that they're really disrupting things. Now, some antibiotics are better at killing anaerobes. Some are better at killing aerobes. But the thing is, your gut has both, right? Yeah. So it's going to disrupt most things. And in fact, there was a study out of Princeton University that looked at the impact on the microbiome with a whole number of classes of antibiotics. And they basically found that within the first hour or so, the antibiotic being in the system, it knocked down all microbes down by 90, 98%, wow. right? So everything got wiped out. Now, the microbes start to grow back, but they grow back in a dysbiotic proportion, yeah. right? Um, and that's where you really start to see problems. So, so I would, all antibiotics will work very similarly in the gut in terms of how they disrupt. Now, what you do about them is also pretty much the same. Um, spore-based probiotics have been used for many, many decades to, to, to work against disruption of the gut by antibiotics. We've done and, and published a couple studies on that already. Um, so spore-based probiotics help in a couple different ways. One, because they will um, outcompete any dysbiotic bacteria that are, that are regrowing too fast. Yeah. They also produce compounds to help regrow the beneficial bacteria. They acidify the gut because one of the things that occurs when you, do, when you take antibiotics is, you know, imagine your gut has this acidic uh, nature to it, right, which is better and healthier for the gut in general. Most of the beneficial bacteria do well in the acid environment. Most of the uh, bad bacteria and fungus and all that do better in a more uh, basic environment, yeah. less acid. And so what happens is imagine you take a course of antibiotics and all your acid producing bacteria get knocked down. Yeah. Now you're not producing acid enough. Now the pH of the gut changes that actually favors the faster regrowth of dysfunctional bacteria. So being able to get a bacteria in there, even in that harsh environment, be able to produce enough acid, then it helps the good bacteria come back and suppress the bad bacteria, right? right, right. That's another thing that the spores do. They produce uh, lactic acid in the gut that 
helps bring back the other microbes. They also compete against pathogens. They're mm-hmm. what it's called competitive exclusion. They're very strong at doing that. So if pathogens are starting to rear the ugly head and grow, they'll bring those levels down. And then most importantly, I would say, is they seal up the gut lining. Because right. one of the consequences of taking antibiotics is the microbes that manage the lining of the gut and the structures within the lining of the gut, they get knocked down. So the lining of the gut becomes severely inflamed, which then opens up tight junctions in between the cells. So inevitably you'll end up with leaky gut from it, right? So being able to seal that back up and and rebuild that lining becomes really important. So we use um, the the spore-based probiotics. We use the Megaspore. um, And then we also, or the, in in the retail space to just thrive, but the Megaspore is the um, you know, the practitioner grade product, yeah, uh, I've and used then that. Use a prebiotic, which is also really important because you want a, um, a prebiotic that is specific to these keystone organisms and keystone organisms are these really important organisms in the gut microbiome that manage and build and support the rest of the microbial structures, mm-hmm. right? So these are organisms like Fecalum bacteria, Prosnitzi and Bifidobacterium longum and Acromantium, right? So these are really important organisms that are directly associated with health. When they they are low, then everything falls apart. So using the right type of oligosaccharide prebiotics to regrow those organisms becomes a critical part of recovery from the antibiotic. Now, the the other thing that the antibiotic study showed us is that yes, this was using antibiotics, which is a, a pretty profound effect on the microbiome, But the same thing occurs over time if people within the household have dysbiotic guts, right? So if you live in a household, for example, and I always bring up the example of moms, you know, they're working with their kids and they're really honed in on their kids' health and nutrition and not taking care of themselves as well, then their dysbiosis is going to impact their kid, right? And the same thing in the the family member. If you've got a mom that's very health conscious and working on her kids and the dad who doesn't care and he's just eating whatever, drinking, smoking, doesn't care. He is impacting the microbiome of everyone else in the home very significantly, especially over time. So it becomes really important to think of your household as a health community, right? Some people have different habits than others, right? Different behaviors and lifestyle choices. But if at least you can get everyone on a probiotic, a prebiotic, making a couple of food decisions that are good for them, a couple of small lifestyle decisions that are good for them, it becomes better for everybody in the household. And if you're a practitioner listening to this, it becomes really important that you're treating the patient's household Mm -hmm. as well as other individuals within the household as much as it becomes important to treat your patient, right? So if you're working with a client who's dealing with anxiety, mood, stress disorders, autoimmune, whatever it may be, you have to also see if you can encourage them to have other people in their household making smarter decisions as well right? That's going to help your patient significantly. So that's, that's the main yeah. important thing of all of this. So what about households where, and I'm asking this because I'm, I have someone in my life right now who's dealing with this, who has the two-year-old who started daycare and who is like, you know, they go through that nightmare mm-hmm. year of being just a hot mess. Like yeah, these kids, every week, yeah. they suffer and the parents go with them. Like they all, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the whole ship goes down kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Do you like aggressively treat like two-year-olds with probiotics as well, just in smaller amounts or how do you? We do. In fact, uh, you know, after the age of one, basically, um, and certainly at two, they have very adult-like microbiomes. Um, So you can absolutely use adult doses of the right type of probiotic, right? We use the Megaspore with kids from three, four months old onwards, Um, you know, and they do perfectly well with it. Now, what, what really is interesting about the kids aspect of it, um, and, and you've probably heard this before, one of the best things you can do with a two-year-old with, with using probiotics and all that is also making them play in the dirt. Yeah, uh, sure. Um, and that has a huge impact, right? Yeah. Uh, in fact, there's, there's a study on this that w- that's really interesting. Um, there's, there's something called a Finnish allergy study. It's a al- big national allergy mm-hmm. study that was run by the country of Finland, right? Yeah. And the reason they ran it is because they're seeing an epidemic of kids with allergies, asthma, you know, high levels of viral infection and all that, especially running through schools and so on. Um, and then there's a town in Russia that is 
something like 100 kilometers away from, from, from Finland, basically the same geography, but they have far lower rates of allergies, asthma, and all that. So they put on a big study to figure out what are the differences between the two and why is one so high and the other so low. And they basically realized that in Finland, they're over sterilizing their environments, right? So they're sterilizing, they're cleaning all of the surfaces with antimicrobial. Uh, you know, they, like many of us in the modern world are programmed to think that that, that spick and span clean, yeah. sterile smell is clean. Right. Yeah, yeah. When it's actually not, right? Yeah. That's bleach not everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Bleach everywhere with the fake lemon smell, right? That's our world of clean, but it's not. And so in the town of Russia, they don't do that. They don't clean the surfaces that way. And they have doors and windows open a lot more. So they have more outside microbes coming in. Remember, I talked about early on, we have to be more in osmosis with the outside environment. Yeah. So in Finland, it's all closed, it's air conditioning, it's you know, uh, internal circulatory air, and then everything's being sterilized. So then they took it one step further. They said, okay, how about in daycares, we take a certain number of daycares and, and uh, preschools, and we, we create these, these dirt piles. And then we make it so that the kids X number of times a week have to play in the dirt pile as wow. part of their curriculum. Yeah. So they've been doing this. And what they find is that in the schools where they have kids playing in the dirt pile, the rates of allergies, asthma, and viral infections are going down. Wow. And in the ones where they don't, they continue to go up, right? So that is one of the most powerful things you can do with a two-year-old. Another great study around little kids, uh, simple study, when you think about it, they, a group of researchers followed moms who, uh, who had one of two behaviors when the kids had pacifiers, mm -hmm. right? The baby would drop the pacifier on the ground. You, they followed groups of moms that would either take the pacifier, clean it with their own mouth and put it back in the baby, or moms who would take it, sterilize it with wipes and all that, and then put it back in the baby's mouth. They followed them over a number of years, and they found that the moms that cleaned it with their own mouth had babies with much lower incidence rate of allergies. Really? Right? So yeah, it, just, yeah. it makes a difference, right? So keep in mind that, and this is why I started our, our discussion with explaining the importance of that osmosis. Mm -hmm. uh, the more and more we, we bar ourselves from microbial exposure, and the more and more we sterilize things around us, the more and more sick we become. Yeah, that's so fascinating because, you know, I mean, there's all this, and, and it's finding that line, right? Because mm -hmm. there you've got so many people have issues in their homes, let's say with mold, like where they, so, so you could talk about the home biome is disrupted, right? Because mold yeah. is like a, it's, it's almost a like pattern. an opportunistic pathogen in our gut, but it's exactly. in the home. And so in that sense, you can, you can be neurotic about getting rid of the mold and doing whatever it yeah. takes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. But absolutely, it's the same as if you had, for example, a, um, uh, an infection of, of, you know, staph aureus in your home, right? Yeah. Where lots of people are getting staph infection or MRSA infections. Uh, you have to go through and sterilize all the showers and, you know, get rid of all the towels and get new ones and all of those things, all the contact surfaces. But that's like having an infection in your body. You have to get rid of it, right? Yeah. So absolutely. I think in those cases, you, you want to do what you can to control the pathogens or the opportunistic organisms. But for most people, most of the time, we want more microbes yeah, and we want to have more. more engagement with microbes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, part of this is also just the cleaners and the products that we use in mm -hmm. our homes have so much to do with it. Like we were talking about that lemon fresh bleachy scent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, personally, it makes me feel ill at this point. Like I'm so... Mm -hmm. I've so left this stuff behind or, you know, the detergents that you use on your clothes and stuff yeah. like that. And people don't even think about, never mind, like there's the whole endocrine disruption aspect, but these products also very much, I think, disrupt our microbiomes, both yeah. surface like skin and all the other orifices that we have. Absolutely, they do. And, and that's, a, that's a very important step in people trying to improve the health of their gut, their immune system, their metabolic system is starting with what, what do we have around us, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, you know, we went through an exercise almost a decade ago, where we looked at all the household cleaners we had in our home, and we said, Okay, what all can we eliminate? 
and not have to have, right? So you do need some sort of sterilization mechanism should you get a contamination in your home. For example, we bring home a raw chicken and yeah. you get raw chicken juice on your counter, you're gonna wanna kill the salmonella that's on there. So you need some sort of bleach wipe or something for that kind of incident. But for the vast majority of the surfaces in your home, including things like your desk and your countertops and all that, for the most part, you don't need to sterilize them. You know, we clean mm-hmm. the, most of our house with just water, a spray of water with a couple drops of essential oil for mostly for smell yeah. um, and, and wipe it down with a rag. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's the extent. Now, the same thing on personal care products. Yes. Right? Most yeah. of what we put on ourselves are lotions, deodorants, toothpaste, all of those things contain antimicrobials and antifungals and all of these um, small molecules that disrupt our ecosystem. And so one of my biggest recommendations to people is, you know, take one product at a time and try to work and find the cleanest version of the product, right? Mm-hmm. It's a little overwhelming to kind of make, make away with your entire medicine cabinet of things and everything in your shower and so on. So I started personally with deodorant and shampoo, basically, right? And I was like, okay, I'm going to work and try many different brands, and find the cleanest version that works for my biology, right? And then once I figured out the right deodorant and the right shampoo, then I went on to the right lotion. I use a lot of lotion because I get my skin gets dry. So I want the healthiest, cleanest, best lotion. So I went through an exercise to try that. So as you do that, each of those things will significantly add up yeah. to, to outcomes that are positive, right? So these are simple things that people can do to start making baby steps. For sure. And I mean, not to dwell on this too much, but even in the essential oil world, there's sometimes people forget that there's some essential oils that are pretty powerful antimicrobials and they can turn against you like your oil of oreganos, your neem, Mm -hmm. like they're great, great oils. And, but they have to be treated with as much respect, almost as a bleach because they can wipe things out pretty darn fast. (laughs) They can, they're extremely powerful. I mean, one of the, I mean, the spores that we work with are pretty robust and they can withstand a lot of things. But one of the things that they don't stand well is, is certain types of essential oils. Interesting. You know, the essential oils will even destroy the spores. Wow. Um, so, so yeah, those are powerful things. Typically we try to use like a, like a citrus-ish oil um, that of, you know, provides more of a, a volatile smell more than anything. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, many of those essential oils are very powerful. Okay. Cool. So we've talked about the home biome, kind of talked about the microbiome. I mean, I do think it is, you know, when we start, when we were talking before the podcast, talking about, you know, how your toothbrush can be, is impacted. And I said, and I was very proud of myself. I said, well, my toothbrush lives in my bathroom. Nobody else uses my bathroom. And you started laughing at me. (laughs) Yes, like, that's yeah, a, no, not so much. <laughs> common matter. misconception, yeah. So well, here's one of the things I want to, when I describe that study, that, that antibiotic study, right? A mm-hmm. lot of times people ask me, well, how did that happen? Like, how did one per- person taking an antibiotic impact yeah. microbiomes of others? Like, were they oozing antibiotics that affected other people or what? And, it, and it's not that, right? So the antibiotics, again, like I mentioned, gets uh, metabolized within a couple hours, enters into circulation, and then eventually those people, their, their liver captures whatever's left and then sends it out. So yeah. it's not the antibiotic oozing out. What happens is when you're on antibiotics and your microbiome is disrupted, you start shedding lots of dysbiotic bacteria through your stool and even off your skin, right? Yeah. So the microbes on your skin are also determined by what's happening in your gut mucosa, which then translates to your skin mucosa, which is just under the layer, the top layer of the skin. So your microbes in your gut and your skin start to shift. And you may start getting much higher levels of certain types of enteric bacteria like Klebsiella or E. coli and other types of microbes that can be problematic and dysbiotic because they're growing back faster. They seem to do better in that antibiotic presence and so on. So now think about you're starting to build higher levels of those organisms and you're starting to shed them as well through your through defecation and off your skin. So defecation, how do other people end up with your poop, right? So, um, you know- <laughs> The if question many people wanna know. <laughs> 
<laughs> people want to know. This, these are important things that, that people need to keep in the back of their mind. You go poop in the toilet, right? And the moment your, your stool hits the water, it's going to dislodge a lot of bacteria from the surface of the stool itself. Now all these microbes are sitting on the surface of the water, right? Then when you flush your toilet, and then there's that vortex as it's spinning, that causes an aerosolization of those microbes up into the air. That aerosol, aerosol is gonna be picked up by your air vent system, goes through your HVAC system and blows back out to everybody else, right? So you can find your fecal microbes floating around in the air and settling on all the surfaces, including other people's toothbrushes that are in other bathrooms, right? right. So then you pick up your toothbrush in the morning and you're brushing it, you've, you're picking up microbes from the person living in the same household as you, their stool microbes are on your toothbrush. Yeah, and now you're brushing my teeth is never going to really be the same after this. No, morning. exactly. You know, we, don't, we don't have, I live in an old house with rats, so maybe it's not as bad in my house. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, and then the other way, you know, with your skin, if you look at, you know, if you don't dust your home for a couple of days, right? Yeah. You see this layer of dust on everything. 95% of dust is human skin cells. Really? Right? It's human <laughs> skin cells, right? That's what you're seeing settling down on everything. Yeah. 95% of that solid matter is human skin cells. And for every one human skin cell, there's 35 microbes on the skin cell, right? Oh, you're, so you're when, killing me. when you can see dust, <laughs> what you can see is dust, there's 35 times that as microbes from right. other people, right? So then if those people's skin is dysbiotic and they're shedding out more staph aureus, for example, because they're on antibiotics, then you've got much more staph aureus settling on everything, including your food. Right. So, if your food's sitting there. So then the whole so really when somebody in the household is going doing a course of antibiotics, you essentially want the whole household to do a course of of sporebiotics. Exactly. And, like and at the end of the day, everybody's going to have to do. And would you say it's like a two week or a 30 day course or yeah. and, and what are your thoughts on? I'm going to ask, I'm going to fast fire a couple of questions because we're running out of time and it's making me crazy. But um, so let's say after a course of antibiotics, and it just so happens in my house, there's two people on antibiotics right now, which happens never, but it yeah. just so happens for two completely different reasons. So would everybody be, be well advised to do a 30 day run or, and yeah. then do you think people should do probiotics all the time? And if yes, then should I do all the same probiotic or should people be cycling through probiotics? Yeah, yeah, those are really great questions. People have those questions all the time. So with the antibiotics, we recommend at the least three times longer than the course of the antibiotic, right? So yeah. if you're taking the megaspore, for example, uh, if your course of antibiotics are for seven days, 21 days minimum, the megaspore, but might as well finish out the bottle, which is a 30 day bottle yeah. and do a bottle for everybody. For sure. Yeah. Um, so that that becomes an important thing when you think about antibiotics. Now, should people be on antibiotics every day, uh, probiotics every day? Um, we thought about this question a lot 10, 12 years ago, because when you start looking at all the probiotics out there, we're trying to figure out, you know, what is the rationale between how all of these are developed? Yeah. Does any of it mimic what naturally happens, you know, in the environment? And and I would say, depending on the probiotic, then yes, absolutely, because uh, remember, I mentioned earlier about this being in constant osmosis with the world around you, right? Mm -hmm. And so normally what's supposed to happen and what's happened for 99.999% of human existence, we were constantly in osmosis with the outside environment where we gained exposure to organisms from the outside. And at the same time, we put organisms back to the outside, right? And many of those organisms that we gained exposure to from the outside actually function as probiotics. Right. Most of them don't, but some of them do. When I when I distinguish whether they function as probiotics or not, what I mean is, do they meet the scientific definition of a probiotic, right. which is a live microorganism when administered in adequate amounts confers a health benefit to the host. Right. Right. And which colonizes and colonizes, colonizes, yeah. even if it's for a short amount of time, they get to they get to survive through. Mm -hmm. And they get to make it past all of the gauntlets that are designed to stop bacteria from making it through, starting with your mouth, your alpha amylase and your IgA in your mouth. And then, of course, in the stomach, the acid wash or the gastric barrier, as we call it. And then once it gets past 
stomach, there's bile acids and pancreatic enzymes, all of which can kill microbes as well. So mm-hmm. all of that is designed to protect you from, you know, bad microbes making their way through and inoculating your gut all the time with bad microbes. However, there are some microbes that have been designed by nature to make it through this crazy gauntlet and actually enter the intestines alive. Yeah. Right? So that meets the first very important definition because if nature has somehow designed this microbe to survive through the some of the worst, harshest environments for microbes to survive through, there may be some intent behind that, right? Some evolutionary mm-hmm. significance behind that. And so then that's how we kind of honed in on the bacterial spores. Because when you look at the outside environment, most of the microbes in the outside environment won't survive through, but the bacterial spores do. And when they do survive through, then we looked at what do they do in the system? And it's pretty clear that we've outsourced a number of critical functions that we need to happen every day. We've outsourced it to these organisms, right? In particular, some of the functions I talked about earlier, that competition of pathogens, the ability to read the microbial environment, which is something called quorum sensing, and Mm -hmm. then find pathogenic organisms and sit next to them and start competing with them to bring their levels down, right? They also seal up the gut. So they upregulate the tight junction proteins and they seal up the gut lining. They also increase the growth of lots of other beneficial bacteria. And then they start rebuilding that mucosal layer as well. Also train the immune system, Mm -hmm. right? So they help train the immune system in that they can upregulate something called a Treg system, which is the type, the part of the immune system that dampens unfavorable immune responses yep. like allergies and sensitivities, right? But then they also upregulate the formation of B cells and T cells to be able to deal with things like incoming pathogens and viruses and so on, right? So all of these important functions, many of which we cannot do for ourselves, we've outsourced to these outside microbes and we formed a symbiotic relationship with them or a mutualistic yeah. relationship where we say, hey, we'll give you a home You can live here. Our immune system will tolerate you. But at the same time, you have to clean up the home and fix all these things. Right. Right. So so when we looked at that, we go, okay. then for most of human evolution, humans gain daily exposure to these organisms just from being in the environment. Right. Drinking water from rivers and streams and eating off the land and eating dirt and all that. But in our modern world, we have divorced ourselves from exposure to these organisms. So Mm -hmm. what is the impact of that? Right. Right. And we start to see the impact of that because we're missing those functions. So to us, if you're talking about a probiotic like that, one that the spore based probiotics, um, like the megaspore in particular, where we've captured microorganisms that naturally do all these things that we're supposed to get exposed to on the outside world, we've brought them back into the system. Them so you can gain a level of exposure to them on a daily basis, right? right. Because we're not doing that naturally. Right. So those types of probiotics you really need daily exposure to. Right. Because it helps make up for the fact that we live in these sterile, relatively sterile worlds away from the environment now. Right. Right. right? Lots of the other random kitchen sink things that are out there where companies just throw 15, 20, 25 strains together and some random doses of 50 billion, 30 billion, you know, that's, there's no scientific sense to any of those kind of formulas. Those are just kind of what I call kitchen sink formulas, you know, and so there's no rationale for taking those kind of things on a daily basis. Today's sponsor is obsessed with mitochondria and their impact on how we age. Their research has shown that by supporting mitophagy, the process that our bodies use to reduce damaged mitochondria and make healthy ones, we can protect cells from cellular decline. Even more exciting, their research shows that supporting mitophagy in older adults, they were able to significantly improve muscle health and performance in just two months. And we can all agree that improving muscle performance and health is critical to longevity and healthy aging. So how did they do this? 10 years of research by the folks at Timeline Nutrition has resulted in the discovery of urolithin A, the active compound in MitoPure, a revolutionary supplement offered to you in three different forms that gives you a therapeutic dose of urolithin A. A delicious vanilla protein shake, my personal favorite, a berry powder you can add to yogurt and smoothies, or convenient capsules for travel. I personally love the three-month trial that allowed me to try all three of these. Within just two months, I could feel my gym workouts getting easier and my body responding to the effects of those healthier mitochondria. 
To try MitoPure for yourself, just go to TimelineNutrition.com forward slash Nat10 and use code Nat10 to save 10% off your order. And now let's get back to the show. And I think a bit of what you're saying also speaks to that whole idea of getting out in nature, which we talk about a lot in the biohacking, you know, ironically in this biohacking world where, um, you know, we're talking about health tech and supplements and this and that. And, you know, when we stop talking about that stuff long enough, expose yourself to natural light and get the hell out of nature so that to a large degree, I think what you're talking, a lot of what you're talking about gets covered off there. It's exposure to this you know, biome of nature, all of yeah. these bacteria and organisms that your body needs to function properly. Yeah. And we need to be prescriptive about it. And that's one of the recommendations I always make to people about improving their health is, you know, write yourself a prescription if you have to for three times a week, 30 minutes a day of being somewhere in a natural environment, right? Yeah. Whether it's going for a walk in the, in, in the forest preserves, like we have a lot of forest preserves by us, or if you're on the coast going to the beach and the dunes yeah. and places like that. Um, so just think about undisturbed kind of natural environments, not like your sidewalk that you're walking on, you know, from yeah. between your school and your home and things like that. It's a little bit better than not being outside, but it's not quite the same. Not quite and the then same. I also tell people to take one step further. This is how you can enhance or enrich any of those experiences, right? So bring a snack with you. For example, best things like a sandwich. Uh, you know, if you eat sandwiches, some people don't eat sandwiches. Yeah, right? You so, just stepped on a minefield there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, or a wrap or a snack. Whatever. Whatever it could be. Bring Whatever some food. It is. Finger Bring food, food, right? Something you eat <laughs> with your hands is a key. Yeah. And then while you're going for your little walk in nature in the first 10, 15 minutes, touch a lot of things, right? Touch trees, touch rocks, touch leaves and do all of that stuff. And then when you sit down, you take a moment, you sit down and you eat within nature. And, and without washing and cleaning your hands and wiping it off, grab your food and feed yourself with it. That mimics the closest thing we can to what our ancestors did for millions of years that helped them harbor and bring about a relationship with outside uh, environmental bacteria, which has a huge positive impact on your health. Now, you could just quickly ride your bike through a trail, still good, you know, but not as good. Uh, you can quickly walk through or jog through a trail, still good, but not as good. If you take a little bit of time and you sit down and you eat, you consume, you get those system, uh, organ organisms inside you, that's where you really start to see the benefit. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I would think foraging wouldn't be bad too, like picking berries yeah. or whatever off a bush. Totally. Um, okay. So before we have to go, do, how many minutes do we have left? I just want to do a time. Uh, at least like 15 minutes. Oh, okay. 15 minutes. Yeah. 15 minutes is good. All right. So we've talked about this, that post-antibiotics, maybe, maybe we could talk a little bit about, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. Why don't we, I know you've been talking a lot lately about the gut brain um, access and how your microbiome affair. And we know that the microbiome, like there's, there's been a lot of noise about this, about the link between microbiome health, mental health, neurodegenerative diseases, like, you know, this two-way communication that's constantly going on. And so maybe we could talk about this because, and then when you were, yeah. we talked about it earlier, you said anxiety and mood in light of the last two years we've went through and that there was something interesting that we learned from COVID also around the microbiome. So yeah. I'm setting the stage and guys, I'm not asking as many questions as this episode because I just want to let Karen talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and again, I'll promise that we'll come back and do a part two to give them even more info, but yeah. let's talk about the gut brain access for, for a moment, because that's so, so important. Uh, and one of the things I always, you know, and I've been lecturing on this a lot, as you mentioned, and I do, and my lectures are all, or I, I lecture in a variety of different places, right? So I lecture in very scientific um, type of events like university, you know, research events to medical conferences, all the way to biohacking shows where it's just, yeah. you know, intelligent consumers that are very health conscious. Um, but one of the most important things that I always make sure to say in the beginning, when I'm talking about the gut brain axis is that we always talk about how the gut and the brain's connected and they work with each other and support one another. But what, what we really don't highlight enough is how a dysfunctional gut arguably becomes the most toxic thing to your brain, right? And that's the thing people really need to understand because our guts and our brain kind of function enough for us to get by, right? Mm -hmm. uh, um, and even if your gut is messed up, your brain is functioning still. And so you may not realize that if your gut is messed up, 
or dysbiotic in any way, it's becoming the most toxic thing to your brain, meaning yeah. it's slowly, literally eating away at your brain, right? And we'll explain how that happens. So there, and there's- Right there's, up there with my poopy toothbrush. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the fact that your brain is currently being eaten and yeah. your toothbrush is full of poop between all the- to continue your day after this. Um, so so the, the, here's the thing about it, which is so fascinating uh, when you really look at it, is um, a, a dysfunctional gut is toxic, super toxic to your brain. A healthy functional gut is the most beneficial protective thing for your brain, right? So everyone is somewhere on that spectrum. Yeah. They're either way towards the end where their brain is being eaten away by a dysfunctional gut, or they have a very healthy gut and they've got super protective brain and will be fine for dec decades on end. Um, the way it, this happens is that there's really two aspects to a dysfunctional gut that damages your brain and the, and the symptoms of it are both acute and, uh, and chronic and long-term as well, okay. right? So... The other realization I try to give people, which is which really shocks a lot of people, is the, if you're experiencing anxiety right now, if you're experiencing you know significant amount of stress, if you're experiencing sleeplessness, right? These are all pretty common symptoms that we all experience. What what is crazy to think about is that those symptoms that you're experiencing are essentially pre-Alzheimer's, pre-Parkinson's type of symptoms. Right. So because the pathologies that create anxiety in your body, in your brain, and your body are the exact pathologies that eventually create Alzheimer's. Right. It, there's no difference. There's no difference there. Right. Super so, happy. I'm a good sleeper. Yes. Keep going. Yeah, exactly. And so if you think about the myriad of people running around right now, most of the people listening to this, thinking about all the anxiety they experience throughout the day, those are all early, early, early Alzheimer's signals and dementia signals, right? So we need to be able to, to, to curb those problems early on. Um, so what's happening in your body when, when, that's, when you're experiencing anxiety and then how does that lead to long-term degenerative conditions? So this, as I mentioned, there's two pathologies. One is leaky gut, right? So leaky gut allows for the translocation or the movement of something called LPS endotoxins, right? Yeah. Across your gut membrane. So it moves past the lining of the gut into circulation. And when it gets into circulation, one of the places it goes is to the brain. Mm -hmm. And when LPS enters the brain, it triggers an inflammatory response in the brain where innate immune actors like microglia cells make it to that region and start creating inflammation in that area, which eventually kills the brain tissue. Right. right. So that's the eating away at the brain part. Now yeah. this happens every day, right? And this is happening all the time. If your gut is leaky, the thing is your brain also has a mechanism of repairing itself. Mm -hmm. So if your gut is somewhat healthy, then you'll have some degree of repair each night so that your total net damage decreases over time. Right. right. Now, the problem is the kind of dysfunction in the gut that allows for leakiness and allows for anxious uh, thoughts and behaviors are also the kind that prevents the fixing of the brain. So you've got a double whammy here, right? You've got a dysfunctional gut that's driving an inflammatory damage to the brain. That same dysfunctional gut also does not upregulate the brain repair mechanisms that are supposed to happen at night, mm -hmm. right? So not, not only are you damaging the brain, you're not fixing it adequately. Right. Right. So that over time will lead to dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and so on. In the meantime, uh, while, while that's ongoing long-term, what you're experiencing the damage is you're experiencing anxiety and you're experiencing sleeplessness. You're, in, you're experiencing brain fog, you know, memory recall issues, right? All of these things are the things that you realize now that are a, um, a byproduct of that same pathology. So the leakiness in the gut, the LPS, the inflammation in the brain, drives these kinds of behaviors. There's lots of studies that show people with elevated LPS levels, you can use the LPS levels in your blood to predict whether or not they have anxiety and depression. And not only that, you can also predict the severity of their anxiety and depression by how much LPS they have in their system, right? So that endotoxin and the inflammation it causes drives anxious-like behavior. Now, this, so that's pathology number one. 
The second pathology is stress response in the body, right? External stressors trigger the flight or fight response in us, which mm -hmm. is a which is a very important evolutionary response. It's perfectly fine to be stressed about something, but yeah. then come down from it, right? Stress is a normal physiology, and I think it's it, I think it's um, unfair to people to try to talk about mindfulness work and all these things to so that you have no stress in your life, right? That's no. not reality. No, <laughs> right? you're going to have stress in your life. And that's it's part gonna of happen. it's going to happen. And that's what allowed us to survive through the millions yeah. of years of evolution is our flight or fight stress response, right? That's what alerted us to dangers that allowed us to either fight or get away from the danger and mm -hmm. allow us to survive. survive. So, yeah. yeah, that's a normal thing. The big difference between how our ancestors experience stress and how we experience stress is that we can't come down from it, right? So the physiological response that occurs in the body when you experience a stressor leads to sympathetic activation. So your sympathetic part of your nervous system, which is trying to uh, upregulate your, your respiratory rate, increase vasodilation, to increase blood flow to your brain and your heart and your muscles. It also um, upregulates your respiratory rate and your cardiac output. So you're basically getting physically prepared to fight or run away from something, right? Yeah. At the same time, you cannot digest, you cannot break down food, you cannot absorb nutrients. And one of the ways in which the sympathetic nervous system drives blood to your brain and your heart is by increasing inflammation in the brain mm -hmm. and the heart, mm -hmm. because inflammation is perfusion, right? right? And the way it increases inflammation is it upregulates, um, it releases these chemicals called catecholamines mm -hmm. that turns on your macrophages and turns on your microglia cells in the brain that drives an inflammatory response in the brain. Now, at the same time, you're also experiencing an increase in cortisol, mm -hmm. right? Because cortisol is a key stress hormone. One of the things that cortisol does that's really important is it gets dumped into the gut. Yeah. It, up, it goes up high in circulation and then it gets dumped in the gut. One of the reasons it gets dumped in the gut is because there are microbes in the gut that break down cortisol. And then the byproducts of that breakdown go into the kidneys and that, that triggers a receptor that upregulates uh, sodium channels from dumping to dump more sodium into circulation. And the reason it does that is to increase your blood pressure, right? Mm. Because then the blood pressure increase helps you get more perfusion, yeah. right? Yeah. All of this is an acute- You're cut. just getting ready to fight. You're getting, getting ready to fight, right? Yeah. So you're inflamed. You cannot digest. You cannot repair. You cannot rest. You, are, you have perfusion in your brain, perfusion in your heart. And then your gut is also becoming leaky because one of the by, one of the side effects of cortisol being dumped into the gut is it increases permeability in the gut, right? And when you increase permeability in the gut, that drives more inflammation up. And in particular, it drives us a very common inflammatory cytokine called IL-6, interleukin-6, yeah. right? Now, this one becomes a really key active player because what IL-6 does when it elevates in its, in its concentration is it goes and it re-triggers the HPA axis again, which causes you to release more cortisol, activate the sympathetic nervous system again, and go through the whole flight or fight response over and over again. And then it causes more cortisol dumping in the gut, makes the gut even more leaky, IL-6 goes up again, and yeah. re-triggers the HPA axis. So this becomes this vicious loop of a single stressor let's say it's driving to work in the morning and somebody cuts you off or a tweet or an email or something you read in the morning that stressed you out, that single stressor can reactivate your HPA axis and your flight or fight response throughout the entire day for the next 12 to 14 hours. But, right? but, in a, but wouldn't a normal person, like, I mean, I get that that can happen, but typically, like, if you're a reasonably well-adjusted person, doesn't that, don't you get out of that, don't you kick out of that cycle? So you kick out of the part of the intensity of the cycle, right? Yeah. So, so here's what, here's what happens for, here's what happens for somebody with real bad dysbiosis. And here's what happens to your okay. average person who has some level of dysbiosis. Cause most people have some, some level degree. of dysbiosis, yeah. right? We yeah. found that 55% of, of healthy, normal individuals, these are people with no conditions, no report, not being managed for anything. They have severe leaky gut as well. So I would say at least half the people in the population have some dysfunction in the gut. So in a, in a someone with really bad dysbiosis, 
a single stressor can, can manifest a full-on flight or fight response over and over and over again, which then oh. keeps them in that, uh, in that chronic anxiety state for the whole day. Right. right. So now you you go into something that they call um, generalized anxiety disorder. Right. These are the people that are in an anxious state the entire day. And mm-hmm. the reason they're in the anxious state the entire day with no particular reason is because their HPA axis and their flight or fight response is constantly kicking on. Right. Uh-huh. Now, that's what the people with real dysbiosis. But that accounts for something like. 21% of the population of the adult wow. population wow. are in that state for, mm-hmm. for that long time. Now, the rest of the population, what tends to happen is you get degrees of HPA activation, right? So one of the other things that's supposed to happen with cortisol is as cortisol levels increase, it acts as its own feedback mechanism, mm-hmm. right? Cortisol levels increasing starts to bind things called glucocorticoid receptors. Those glucocorticoid receptors are found in the gut and a bunch of other tissues. As the cortisol binds these glucocorticoid receptors, that becomes a negative feedback signal to turn down the sympathetic nervous system and bring you back down from that flight or fight response. So in those individuals, what what tends to happen, in in the majority of individuals that have some dysfunction, what tends to happen is you can bind enough of those glucocorticoid receptors during the cortisol spiking so you start to come down from that major part of the activation. So you no longer feel anxious or nervous. You're back to basal level, but you still are having some level of transient leaky gut. And so you're still getting inflammation that's kicking on. You may not feel it yet, but that inflammation is still kicking on that IL-6 is going up and irritating that HPA axis. Then what happens is your tolerance level throughout the day goes down right? What tends to bother you more, you know, more and more is our smaller and smaller things, right? Right. right. Like we've all said, like, you know, as you get older, your tolerance for things goes down, right? Yeah. We used to be very tolerant of things. Now, like the smaller things impact us even more. And especially as they accumulate throughout the day, right? And just think about it, right? When you, when you wake up out of bed, it's like you stub your toe in the morning. It's like, ah, it's super frustrating. And then one other thing goes wrong and another thing goes wrong. Now you're having a total bad day, even though those are all pretty small things when you really think about it. The reason why this accumulates into a bad day is because every time one of those triggers occurs, because you have some degree of leaky gut and and inflammation and your HPA axis is triggered to a certain degree, your ability to spike into that flight or fight response becomes um, uh, you know, uh, more and more and more, right? You, your threshold for what your threshold is lower for, for getting yeah, over time. All right. So, so what do we do about it? Cause we yeah, can't so meditate we, our way out. You cannot <laughs> No, And that's the thing like the mindfulness work is good right. to some degree, but it's not yeah. what's going to get you out. It's the physiology that helps get you out. Right. And so, so that's one of the reasons why we developed the psychobiotic. What we found was that certain individuals that had a, a type of bacteria strain in their gut as a natural inhabitant seemed to be much more resistant to external stressors, had much less cortisol response, did not get reactivation of the HPA axis, did not see all the inflammation that comes from that and we're able then to rest and sleep properly at night as well mm-hmm. and that strain is a strain we call bifidolongum uh, in our case it's a 1714 strain as it turns out bifidolongum is a keystone species to begin yeah. with but this unique version of bifidolongum has this exopolysaccharide around it which is made up of this compound called peptidoglycans Peptidoglycans are a byproduct of certain types of bacteria. And these peptidoglycans apparently are the key thing in the gut to shut off the inflammatory and leaky gut response of cortisol. So when cortisol gets dumped into the gut, it doesn't allow cortisol to trigger an inflammatory response or trigger leaky gut. It also will bind to receptors on the lining of the gut to send neurotransmitters to the brain to calm down the brain by shifting your brain waves, right? So we talked about meditative states. One of the benefits, if you know how to meditate, and very few people know how to meditate effectively, Mm -hmm. is you shift your brain into theta waves, right? Theta waves are that meditative flow state where you're calm, relaxed, your brain works well. And what we found in the clinical trials we published is that when you get exposed to this kind of bacteria, it actually shifts your brain into theta wave mode a little bit more so that you have more of your brain that's in that calm, relaxed state 
it becomes much easier to deal with stressors, right? Huh. And you're in a much more rational state. So these psychobiotics, again, speak to the gut-brain connection. And, and what, what that tells us is evolutionarily, the individuals that had the healthy, correct microbiome likely survived much better over time than the people who had disrupted microbiome and had a dysfunctional flight or fight response, right? right. And, and so the healthiest people were able to propagate these microbes and then pass them along. And, and that's supposed to be the natural human state. But because we take antibiotics and we kill our microbes in all kinds of crazy ways, mm -hmm. uh, we no longer have these microbes in good, good abundance. And so now it's disrupted our flight or fight response again. And so now, you know, anxiety and all that continues to creep up, right? Because we can't deal with yeah. regular stressors. And we'll, we'll, we can cover COVID uh, a lot more in the next one, but yeah. I'll also, I'll make a quick mention in that, um, you know, in the beginning in March of 2020, uh, I had a number of requests to do talks about what is this new pandemic thing that's coming about. And I started talking about it and the type of virus it is and how it infects and what the susceptibilities are and all that. And what was clear even then is that this is a virus that attaches to that ACE2 receptor, right? The yeah. ACE2 receptor is a receptor that is expressed on many cells in the body in response to chronic inflammatory damage. And so the ACE2 receptor is part of the repair mechanism of tissue, but it's expressed a lot in individuals that have lots of chronic low-grade inflammation. Mm. And the biggest source of that chronic low-grade inflammation is leaky gut. So one of the things I described is that if you, if you probably, if you take care of your gut, it'll make you more resilient against something like this, because this is what, 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 you know, drives that chronic inflammation, that leakiness in the gut. Sure enough, four studies published showing that individuals who had um, low diversity in the gut, intestinal permeability, low levels of keystone species were the ones that had the worst responses to COVID, who had the highest rates of hospitalization and mortality to COVID directly linked to what their microbiome looked like. And then on top of that, I mentioned IL-6 before. There was a big study called the Boston-Dublin study where they were looking at all these biomarkers in your system to try to figure out which biomarkers drove the highest risks for, uh, for bad response to COVID. And basically what they found was that people with the highest levels of IL-6, they could predict would, would, would more than likely become hospitalized or even be killed from this, wow. right? So the higher your IL-6 levels are, the more susceptible you are to a poor response to it. And, you know, and we can go into how the immune system is connected to this and how the microbiome drives and, and controls the immune system. But it becomes really important to note that that same elevated IL-6 is what's driving all the brain uh, you know, dysfunction, the, um, the, the response to endotoxemia, the presence of endotoxins from leaky gut drives IL-6 up. That's the same thing that's eating away at your brain, like we talked about earlier. So all of these things are all connected to a dysfunctional gut and a leaky gut. Wow. Wow. All comes down to the gut. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we're going to, we're going to have to close this off because I can hear yeah. your phone going. People are calling you. Yeah. It's, it's time for you to go. So if we were going to give people like a quick recommendation of a baseline thing that they should all be thinking of doing, I'm thinking the spore biotic is a good place to start, yeah. but this, this new, sorry, what did you call it? The psychobiotic? A psychobiotic, yeah. We psychobiotic call sounds like it's going to become another foundation, like pillar of the foundation of what we all need at some level. It, it has to be, unfortunately, right? Because of, of the state of the world we live in and our bodies and what we're exposed to and all of that. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm somebody that doesn't, you know, I did at one point in my life experience lots of anxiety and all that, but that hopefully, fortunately I was able to work out of that, work my way out of that. Um, so I don't really experience stress in a, in a, any measurable way or anxiety, but I still take it because I know the same mechanism is happening subclinically anyway. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and that inflammation and that, you know, anytime you, something stresses you out, even if you come down from it pretty quickly, it does elevate your, your inflammatory responses. And if I don't have that microbe in my system, that inflammatory response is making perpetuate. My brain and it'll perpetuate. Right. Got and it. so, you know, I I'm sensitive to that, even by my, uh, of myself, my kids, you see it in kids, right? Uh, kids these days are unfortunately born with all kinds of dysbiosis. Oh and dysfunction. So you see the behavior disorders that they already have, mm -hmm. right? The 
attention deficit disorders, the um, the lashing out, and the you know all of those things. All of those are in- anxious responses from the kids, right? Yeah. So they're going through this flight or fight response. They just don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. Right. So they cry and they lash out and they and they act you know like the crazy little people. Uh, and I have two of those little people in my household, so Cute they're getting crazy it all people. the time. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and and who doesn't want to sleep better, right? Who doesn't want to be in more theta wave? Who doesn't want to have more efficiency with the sleep? And those are all the things we also saw with the psychobiotic. So that's called Zen biome. Uh, and then the megaspore is, of course, the spore-based probiotic. So those are two, if you're looking at supplementation, things to think about and consider. Beyond that, the things that won't, you know, are, are easier things to uh, incorporate, as we talked about, pick up one or two personal care products, start cleaning it up, mm-hmm. right? Don't sterilize your home as much as you used to. Be prescriptive about going outside and sit down and have a snack if you can outside. Try to increase the diversity in your diet, uh, you know, as much as you can to the, to the things that you tolerate well. Um, and then nowadays, coming out of the pandemic, one very good thing for you is interacting with people. Yeah. Oh, I've been out as you've been out as well. I've been at shows, conferences, hugging hundreds upon hundreds of people and being shocking. (laughs) Exactly. You know, and, and it's, and it's very rewarding because that increases oxytocin and reduces stress hormones and, and reduces inflammation. And then you're all also sharing microbes at that time. And then the last recommendation is whoever's listening to this is likely a pretty health conscious individual, right? Because they're investing their time to listen and learn from these programs. That doesn't mean the people in your household are health conscious Mm -hmm. as well. So it becomes your job to become that anchor in your household, to be that beacon of wellness in your home. So make sure the other people in your home are doing at least some minimal things to, to improve the overall biome of the home. Absolutely. Well, and yeah, exactly. And understanding that we're interconnected and what you do is going to affect the next person and vice versa. Well, Kieran, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Why don't we tell people where they can find these amazing products? We will have a discount code for you guys. We just, I didn't get it organized before the show, but uh, hopefully it'll be Nat something. And I know for there's just thrive.com and then and I know that as a practitioner, I've used the Microbiome Labs products too. Yeah. And, you know, as a practitioner, you can actually make the products available to your to your listeners. Great. So you'll have an affiliate link that you can post uh, where they can get the products, which is always the best way for me, uh, for people to get their products through a practitioner, through somebody they trust, right? So you know the source is the right source. Um, but if you want to learn more information, you know, come to microbiomelabs with an S.com, uh, our website. We have lots of blogs and information and videos. Also, look me up on social media um, mm-hmm. on uh, Instagram. I'm Kieran Biome. Uh, on Facebook, I think it's just my name, Kieran Krishnan. Um, I post a lot of things, interviews and, and webinars and all that I do on there. Um, and this endless amount of information. Uh, for people to dig into. So reach out there. I also try to engage with people as much as I can to provide them direction. Amazing. uh, As they have their questions. So, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you again so much for your time. I'm going to get on um, setting up our next one because it'll take us a couple months anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're a busy guy. Uh, But thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been fascinating. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. We'll chat again. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, mattnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.